The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Here we are today, and I'm just going to finish off on this little series about faith, hope, and love. Um, If you like, today is called Living to God's Standard of Love. That's what we're talking about. But as you know, we've had this verse over the last few weeks. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Three things, three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So we've been looking at that. The fact that the greatest is love. This is really the important one. So we want to find out, well, love, yes, we know that phrase. And we know it's an emotion. We know all of that. But what does the Bible have to tell us? This is what love is. This is what it's like. Because when we get an understanding of what it's like, then we can take hold of it and we can make an application in our lives. There's far too much on the television that would tell us that love is one thing. It tells us much more that it's about sex. That's what, that's what it is. It's much bigger than that. In fact, if you haven't got hold of what God is saying love is, then your sex life is not actually going to be that great. That's the truth. That brought a stunned silence, didn't it? <laughs> Hallelujah. Wow. Okay, let's just read then what God actually tells us that love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, and this is the New Living Translation. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now, last week we were looking at these verses, this particular passage, and we were unpacking it a little bit, so that we had a greater understanding of what actually God was saying to us, what it looks like what these different things mean. And the object of that is that we might hold ourselves accountable to the standard that God is setting. Now, that's not so we can hold ourselves accountable so that we can actually say, wow, I'm fantastic at this. That's not quite the object. Because in truth, as we look at God's standard, then we tend to find we're coming in below that standard. So there's a challenge for us. But it's really designed so that we can see how much we need God. If there's no concept of how much we need Him, there's no going towards Him. There's no desire really for Him. But when you realize, I need Him because I need His help. I'm not coming up to the way He wants me to live. And He can empower me to live the way He wants to live. But I need to go to Him. I can't do it in myself. That's really what we're looking at. And you know what? When you... Well, here's the truth. You can only repent of things that you are aware of. You don't repent of sins that you think, I didn't know, have I done that? If you've done something wrong, you go into a stop shop and you steal something, then you wouldn't, well, hopefully you would understand that's wrong. You think, I shouldn't have done that. I must repent. 
But there's lots of things in our lives that we don't repent of. And the reason we don't repent of them is because we don't really, we're unaware that they're there. I didn't know. It takes revelation from God to touch our hearts, a conviction from God to touch our hearts. This is like, oh, right. Yeah, actually, that isn't how I'm supposed to be living. Then you come to repentance. And again, one of the objects of looking at this is so that we might not lay out condemnation, but that we might invite conviction. Because we want the Holy Spirit to come to us and just to tap us and say, that's not the way you should be doing it. That's not the right attitude. That's not the right way of going about it. That's conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that conviction can bring us to a place of saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I need you. But you see, if we don't have that, if we don't see that, and that's why we're looking at the standards, we're looking, trying to understand what is God saying to us and how do we match up against that? Because if we've got no concept of what his standard is, then how are we going to even bring ourselves to it? If love is patient and we are impatient, then there's obviously room for growth. If love is kind and we find ourselves acting in an unkind way, then we need to acknowledge the change that is needed within us. Listen, calling ourselves Christians is making a declaration that we are disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. So for us to have integrity of what we're saying, it means we need to live like Jesus did. That's the truth. Now that sounds like, yeah, okay, that's all right. But at the same time, that comment is quite challenging to us. But you see, if we're saying we're Christians, then what we're saying is we're following God's standard. We are actually disciples. The way that he says we should go, that's the way that we've decided to go. And if we find that we're not going that way, ooh, because you see, going that way means that we've said, this is the way that I have decided to live. I have decided to follow Jesus. That's what it means when we became a Christian. This is why the Apostle John wrote this. 1 John 2 verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, the Apostle John who wrote that, he also wrote a lot about love. And because of that, I thought this morning we would give a quick look at actually what he can add to what we have already learned. Now, you will find that the Apostle John is what I would refer to as a fairly straight-speaking sort of guy. He says it as it is. You know, if you are a Christian, this is the way you should be living. No, no messing about. Down the line. Okay. Now, that's good, but sometimes it doesn't always feel comfortable. But don't forget what we're looking for. We're looking to find out where we're really at. We're looking to find out actually the work that God needs to do because we want the motivation of saying like it's not I'm no good it's that God can you help please come to me because you are my heavenly father and you actually want to help me when we listen to God's standard of love and we find our own actions fall short I mean come on I'm not talking to you I'm talking to me you've only got to read that list of what love is I know that I fall short of that, regretfully. We're aware of it. We all know that. So this isn't the case of like, I think there's one of you here that's actually not reaching up to this standard, not quite sure where they are, I think it's in the middle, I think the sides are okay. It's not that at all. What we're, all doing, we're all in this. So what we're seeking to do is, this, wow, that's the position that we're in. We need God.
We need God to move amongst us and to help us. God doesn't want me to give up. He wants me to reach out to him. The same for you. It's not about, oh, that's it. I can't do it. No, he wants us to reach out to him. I guess, in a sense, that's what Paul was saying when he wrote in Romans 2 verse 4. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Do you see that? It's actually God is at work. He wants to send his spirit upon us. He wants to move in our hearts. He wants to bring conviction to us. Why? So that we might repent, so that we might get closer to him, which is the right relationship that he's looking for us to have with him. A close relationship working with him. And if you think about it, Paul who wrote that, he is also the one who wrote this in Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom, says Paul, I am the worst. You know how we can get condemned? We feel like, oh, it's me. I failed again. I haven't done it. No, no, no. We're not talking about <coughs> condemnation. Paul declared him to be the worst of sinners. The worst of sinners. If you look at what I've done, it's terrible. But he knew that God's kindness towards him was to bring him to repentance. To convict him of his sin and to show him the right way to go. And that's what God is seeking to do for every one of us. And if you think about it, I mean, Paul, he wrote a few letters. But his letters got published in the Bible. You know, I mean, that's the standard this guy's at. So listen, we need to have encouragement. We need to hear this. God's standards of living, we often fall short of those. And when we fall short of his standards, we are sinners. And that is because, what, what, what is a sinner? A sinner is someone who is not doing what God wants them to do. Is not living the way that God wants them to live. That's what a sinner is. Us in church, our problem is this. We think of sinners as being those who don't come to church. They're sinners. No, no, no. That's not right. We're sinners when we're no longer living the way that God wants us to live. That should give us actually much greater compassion for people around us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But listen to the good news. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Salvation isn't just about the day that you said, Jesus, come into my life. Salvation is a moment-by-moment moment need for us because we need his help in many and varied situations in our life. The reason that Jesus Christ came into the world was to save sinners. God doesn't want us to give up. God wants us to reach out to him. Okay, let's look at, and I've got six of them, six points of, from John's teaching about love. So, we'll probably get to point four and a half or something like that. The first point is this, the root of love. And this is what John says. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, he says, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
And then he goes on to say a bit further down in verse 19 of the same chapter, we love because he first loved us. So for me, I see the root of love as this. Right at the top, God is love. God is love. He is love. He is the source of all things. He was before all things. That's why I can say he is the source of all things. So the root of love starts with God. God is love. That's where the commencing point of love is. So point two, love comes from God. Love comes from God. And we know that that source of love poured out his love upon a sinful world to bring us out of the captivity of sin and to bring us out of darkness into relationship with him. That's why we can say that God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, says John. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Love comes from God and it comes to us because we were sinners, we were lost, we were in darkness, but God shows his love for us by sending Jesus to be our savior. And then as we receive that love, then we can give that love out. Because as we receive the understanding of that love, then it gives us the ability to love others. We love because he first loved us. So understanding that you are loved by God, that he is for you, that he's not against you, that he is with you, he is your strength, he is your shield, that can cause a transforming effect in our lives. Now, okay, let's not just say that. We have to work to understand it. Okay, not all of these things come by instantaneous revelation. They come by us spending time with him. Just as you would grow in any relationship, in any relationship, you know a few facts and figures about somebody on first meeting because you've had a brief conversation. But if you had a meeting after meeting after meeting, then you are going to grow in understanding of that person's life. You're going to experience many more things about them. So it is in our relationship with God. It grows. It develops. And so therefore, spending time with him will help us to understand that. So what I see, the root of love is this. God is love. Love comes from God. We love because he first loved us. But it is important to keep that in mind because that's the source of love. There's no point in looking to the world and things of the world and the things that people say that this is where you're going to find love. You're not going to find love. You're going to find affection. You're going to find relationships. Yes, you're going to find sex. You can find those things on the earth. But the love that we're talking about, the transforming love that we've read about in 1 Corinthians 13, that comes from one source because God is love. So this is the route that it takes. It's from heaven down to earth. And it comes to us because he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, the root of love. Second point, love involves obedience. And the apostle gives us these words, 1 John 2, verses 3 to 6. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Notice how John doesn't mince his words. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. 
That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. John has a powerful way of writing. There's no point in us saying we know God or even saying that we are Christians if we are not prepared to do what God asks us to do. That is basically what John is saying here. Obedience is a sign. It's an action. It's a visible outworking of something that's happened inside. We have a thought process. There's a way of going about things. Something's going inside of us, and therefore we are prepared to, yes, I'm going to obey. It's an outworking of something that's already happened in our lives. And in this case, what John is pointing out to us is obedience to God is a visible outworking of the fact that within ourselves we love God. There's an output. There's an action, okay? Loving God is causing you to obey him. Actually, if you don't live the way that he wants you to live, then it just goes to show that you don't really love him as much maybe as you thought you did. There's a challenge for us. And it feels a bit like John slaps us in the face with what he says. That's how it feels to me. Are you awake? Yeah, yeah, I'm awake, but I don't particularly like it. That seems to be what it's like from John. But again, he's trying to bring awakening. He's trying to bring understanding. There's a culture in the United Kingdom that says, if you go to church, you're a Christian. So there's something that says, oh, you can be named that by attendance, not by behavior. That isn't what the Bible teaches. That isn't what the Bible teaches. There's a tendency for us to think, when I prayed a prayer of salvation, I became a Christian. Amen, you did. You came into the life of Jesus. But it's not just about becoming, it's about being a Christian. Therefore, we're disciples. We're in a continual learning process now of seeking to be like the one that we're following. So therefore, when people come into church and they meet the people in the church, they should be meeting a variety of people in different stages of learning more and more to be like Jesus. And this is trouble. When we're talking about love, we're talking about the fact we actually are understanding. We've got to grow in something because this is part of our faith and it's part of who God is. Well, it's not part of who God is. This is who God is. So we want to connect to him so that we can love. Look, as I said to you, this is not about condemnation, but it is about conviction. Condemnation is talking about a condemned man, if you like, is someone who has been found guilty and is doomed to eternal punishment. That's it. The end is here. Conviction, okay, is when a man is impressed with his sense of guilt, his sense of shortcoming, but he seeks out a saviour to help him. There is a big difference between these two. John tells us that love involves obedience. And then John goes on to say, love God, not the world. Love God, not the world. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. John says, do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, 
but are of this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That verse 15 in the New Living, I'll just read it again. When you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. In the NIV it reads like this, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. But there's this sense, look, this connection, this connection with God gets disturbed. Or this love for God is missing when we are giving our affections to the world. When we are caught up in only craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. Look, I'm reading this, it affects all of our lives. Why? Because we're in the world. We know these things affect us. What we're looking to find out is how can we grow in our love for God. Love likes to have an object, one object of its affection. And John tells us that if we spend our affection on the world, then it's going to be difficult for us to really love God. Divided love doesn't work. It causes strife. I think we understand that, but if not, here's a, an illustration, if you like, which I hope will help. There's a guy in your office, let's say. And this guy, and I'm referring this actually as I read it. This, when I first started work, uh, and so I went from an 18-year-old in school environment straight into the city of London, and there I am sitting at a, a desk doing all sorts of administration or learning stuff like that. And there's one guy on the desk who comes in. Every week he comes in, and we get all the stories of his love life, basically. And as a, as a fair, I would say this, as a fairly sheltered 18-year-old, although you didn't think that when you were at school, whew, his name was Richard, that's all I can say. I can remember thinking like, really? Anyway, this guy's got two girlfriends. Seems to have two girlfriends on the go all the time. And you're thinking like, how, how, how do you... One part of me, or one part of anybody, would be thinking like, how do you manage that? How, how, do, you, how do you actually do that? How do you make sure you're in that place and this person doesn't know... Do you know what I mean? How does that work? But then the other half of you said, that's not right. And deep inside, you know, that ain't going to last. Because sooner or later, one of them's going to find out, and then it's all going to blow up. You, we, we know that. We know that story. Now, the interesting thing is, why is it that we know that love wants to prefer a person? Why is it that we know that that situation isn't right? Because we all know that inside. And I'm not talking about a lustful desire or something, which is coming from the flesh, which might have different thoughts. Oh, I'll have as many girlfriends as I can. No, no, no. I'm talking about love. And when we talk about love, it has parameters to it. It has an affection. Now, actually, what this is referred to is that love is jealous. That's actually the word that's used of it. Love is jealous. Now, I have to be careful here because when we read those verses from 1 Corinthians 13, we actually said, love is not jealous. Now, the reason for that is because the writers of the New Living Translation have translated the Greek word, which really has the basis of envious. In actual fact, when you look at that uh, um, particular passage in, let's say, New King James or something like that, you will say, love does not envy. It's not envious. And when we realize it in our language, envy and jealousy, they are quite interchangeable terms. Well, don't get jealous. Well, actually, I should have said, don't mean envious. Oh, no, no, I should... 
because they're quite interchangeable to us. So there's a complexness of language and of translation into our language, which you see that the reason they use jealous in the New Living Translation is because actually jealous has somewhat more of a, a passion about it. It's something outgoing about it. Hence, we talk about that with love. Love is jealous. And what it means is, really, when we say we love somebody, we're loving that person. We're preferring that person. You get married and your husband or wife is going after another. Is there jealousy in your relationship? Absolutely there is. And I don't mean, it's not you're jealous for others. You, love itself is jealous because it's precious. The Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. The Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. He is jealous for us. Exodus 20 verses 4 and 5. It says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What that means is God loves us. He loves us. And he loves us so intentionally, so purposefully that actually he hates it when we're giving our affection to somebody else. That's what he's talking about. So when we come back to this world and how we live in this world, when we're going after all the things the world is going after, when we're giving our attention, our hearts to those things, what was it that John said? He said, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions when we're running after those things, it's like our affections are being split. It's like we're saying we're dating two people. We're dating God, but I'm also finding time for this. I'm, oh yeah, I've got a bit of time. And we try to work out that. It's just like that situation that I told you about of this guy in my office when I first started. When we love the world, the heart of God feels a sense of us double dating him. And he doesn't like that. John says, love God, not the world. John teaches very quickly, he teaches. <laughs> there is no connection, there's no flow in our lives if we're not connected to God. No connection, no flow. Let me just read this. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning, because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. John, do you want to change that a little bit? Can we adjust that? Can we make that more acceptable for our hearing? does not belong to God. See, what John is showing all the time is faithfulness. We know that love has to have faithfulness about it. There has to be faithfulness in love. Where there is unfaithfulness, there are arguments, there's problems, there's hurt, there's pain, there's suffering. And what we're describing here is that we need to be connected to him for us, actually, to show that we can love others. If we're to love other believers, this is an output, if you like, if there isn't that output, 
then it's looking back at the fact, okay, if there's no output, what's happened to the input? Where does love come from? Love comes from God. We saw the flow. Love is coming from God because he is God. He came down to us, set us free from our sins to let his love come and live within us. Now that love living within us can actually flow out to others. So actually if it's not flowing out, it would appear that something's wrong with the pipework. It would appear that there's something wrong with the connection. Hence, I'm saying no connection, no flow. Fifth point, actually living in love Living in love has a look. A few more scriptures. 1 John 3, 14 to 19. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. Incidentally, when it says if we love them, it's not that, yes, I recognize you. How's your week been? Everything okay? When we love, we're going back to 1 Corinthians, those verses that we've read, which tells us what love is like, and that is what we're seeking to implement in our lives, so that if they, last Sunday, said something nasty to us, that this week we're going to come and keep no record of that wrong. It's practically, when we're using the word love, we're not just using those four letters, we're taking all of the knowledge that we have of what love is and we're implementing that in our lives and saying, this is how I'm to behave. Not just the world's attitude, not just those thought, okay, this is what love represents, this is what the world says it represents, this is what I want it to represent. No, no, we can't come to that. We're coming to the place of saying, this is what God says it is. And if we are saying we're followers of him, then this is how we need to behave to others. This is how we are to live before others. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. I told, did tell you that John was a straight-speaking guy, didn't I? I warned you about that. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. Listen, if you've got in your heart that sort of rage or anger or frustration against somebody, let me tell you, it's not necessary that you go to them first. You go to him first. Because if there's no connection... There can be no flow. You can say, I'm sorry. Of course, that helps an awful lot. But if there's no connection, there's no flow. We have to be connected to him. God doesn't want us to give up. He wants us to reach out to him. That's what he wants. We know, verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Love is an action. And therefore, our lives need to be displaying loving actions. John says that loving our brothers and sisters in the church shows that we love God. Hating a brother or sister shows you've missed out on something. There's something not quite right. This is not how it's supposed to work. It doesn't mean, by the way, to say there are many reasons, often very good reasons, of why that hatred came about. 
Let's look at the situation in the royal family. Okay? It's in the news. Everybody knows about it. We all know there's a, you know, there's a lot of stuff being said. Well, on one side. We don't really know the truth. In honesty, we don't know the truth of everything. We have opinions. How is it going to get sorted out? If you're not connected to heaven, then actually it's going to be very difficult. But there can be a divine connection that can change the hearts of people. I don't care how much you have wronged me. Well, actually, I do care because I felt the pain. But because of what he has done in my life, I have the capability to release you. I have the capability to love you. And those can't come with words. They need to come with a heart that shows that those words are true. Because if they don't match up, then everybody sees through it. You see it through it if somebody says, like, I'm sorry. That wasn't much of a sorry, was it? I mean, that, you don't necessarily say that, but that's what you think. Because you're aware. You know when people are telling the truth. But when somebody says, I love you, and you see signs in their life that follow that on, that gives strength to what is happening. God wants us to behave the way he wants us to behave. He's written out these verses in Corinthians. And I would really say to us all and to myself, it would do us no harm but to look at those four verses, Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, to read them daily. Simply with this, Lord, help me. This is what your standard is. I'm falling short so regularly. Could you actually give me a little bit of a nudge up so it's not so bad? Can you come and change me? No connection, no flow. But with connection, we gain flow. May God have mercy on us all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning. Or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.